0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we're talking about body shaming, which is going to be an umbrella term for both fat shaming and thin shaming. Because a few months ago, over on Stuff Mom Never Told You, the YouTube channel... A viewer asked whether or not skinny shaming or thin shaming exists. And so I did a video talking about it and how yes, you know, I think that there's a, you know, a spectrum of body shaming mm-hmm. and not to pit one against the other, i.e. pit fat shaming against thin shaming saying which is worse, which is better, because that's not the point. And It generated a lot of conversation, and we asked on the podcast whether or not we should talk about this topic as well. Heard from a lot of you, Mm -hmm. and so here you go. Let's talk about body shaming, because I feel like this is such an important issue for women to really, really pay close attention to, Yeah, because if we're not careful in the... I think there are a lot of good intentions of wanting to encourage girls in particular to have a healthy body image. Mm -hmm. And in the process, we end up shaming women who look like what we don't think they should look like, whether that is larger or smaller. Right. Exactly.
1: Well, so why do we have these views? Why do we have these views of what's too big or too small? Yeah. Well, a lot of the research is focused on weight bias in the
0: sense of fat shaming weight mm. bias. And there are a lot of theories as to why it exists, because it is, once you start digging into the literature, there is, I mean, it, it's so persistent and it's long-standing and astounding how early those biases develop in us. So from more of an evolutionary perspective, there's this idea that a weight bias exists because it's human's pathogen avoidance mechanism at work basically this uh inborn response to us seeing someone that doesn't look like us you know and us being you know like a a weight person Mm -hmm. and having some evolutionary response of like oh well you must have some kind of disease or something that i need to stay away from
1: Right. And there's also the idea, and this could stretch back all the way to our Puritan early American ancestors who considered overindulgence an actual moral failing, that if you overindulged in food or alcohol or anything like that, that you clearly had something wrong with you.
0: Yeah, because today a lot of fat shaming involves just assumptions that, well, these people just have no self-control whatsoever, um, which we'll talk about more and how that is a total myth. Um, But there also might be some feminism tied up in this, not in the sense of feminism promoting weight bias, but perhaps weight bias being a reaction to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, For instance, Naomi Wolf, in the book, The Beauty Myth, she talks about how urging women to be thin has noticeably spiked during the suffrage movement and second wave feminism. And she writes... What are the implications of advocating thinness for women at times when these women begin to take up more space and hold more power?
1: Right. So women are, are leaving the home and suddenly they're outside. Oh my God. There's, there's women outside and they're on the bus and they're going to work. You know, we, we have to take them down a peg, you know, like, like we're, we're uh, taking you down a peg so that you won't be as threatening. And that involves judging you for all of the fat that you do or don't have on your body. Um, instead of, you know, letting you prove yourself as a skilled worker or whatnot.
0: Yeah. And a lot of weight bias research does focus on women, uh, because let's face it, women are often judged more harshly for not meeting normative
1: attractiveness standards. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's the only thing like, I mean, you know, not in a fat shaming or thin shaming sort of way, but I think Hillary Clinton is an excellent example of that. It's like, really? That's all you have to judge her on the fact that she wore that suit or did her hair that way. You know, I think, you know, her peers in government do not her male peers in government do not face the same focus. And that's something that women just have to deal with. And and. We just happened today to be talking about the weight aspect. Yeah,
0: and, and the weight bias has been just uh, kind of peddled to us over and over again through media messages, imagery, Photoshop. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I clearly remember being around 12 years old and for the first time really becoming aware of what my thighs looked like because mm-hmm. I was flipping through Adelia's catalog and I, it had, you know, bikini shots and these girls had very thin thighs i did not have very thin thighs when their legs you know when their feet were together their thighs didn't touch mine did and it was all of a sudden it just set off this domino effect in my brain mm-hmm. that oh my god i have massive fat thighs this is awful i don't look like that
1: yeah i was um i was watching a show the other night And, you know, had all this this research in my brain and I was looking at all the characters on the screen and it was just like a general shot of the main character at an airport. And so there's a million people around and not a single one of them was over a a normal or average weight uh, at all. They were all very slim, slender. And I it just occurred to me like, oh, well, we're getting this this universe presented to us every day, all day long of the, the fact that the only people who exist who are worth being on screen or who are worth thinking about are people who look one specific way. And if you're smaller than that or if you're bigger than that, then obviously, like, ugh, something's wrong with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, the very fact that Lena Dunham and Mindy Kaling's wait, for instance, which are pretty much average for mm-hmm. American women, the fact that their bodies are such constant topics of conversation as though it's a revolution that they're even on screen, right. speaks so much to where we are with this issue. Um, so what we know also about weight bias from these studies is that it starts very early, It's also more predominant among white women in particular, and it has been on the rise in recent years. Um, So as for that age issue, this was startling to me. A 2007 study found evidence of a weight bias and in that sense, an anti-fat bias. They found evidence of it by age five. Yeah. H5. And these are the, this is the same time when, as we've talked about many times in the podcast too, Caroline, that we're forming our earliest gender schema, kind of mm-hmm. getting a sense of the world and who we are. And along with that, this weight bias comes in.
1: Yeah. It's very interesting. Did, I mean, is it coming from parents? Is it coming from peers? I think it's coming from parents, peers, uh,
0: coaches, teachers, what they're seeing on television, what they're mm-hmm. hearing, how, probably how, you know, a lot of how, they hear people talking about other people. Yeah. Um, and in studies, children perceive obese peers as lazy, stupid and undesirable. I mean, yeah. these are the kinds of things that kids are reporting about kids their own
1: age. I don't I don't remember when I first thought I was fat, but I remember distinctly like I remember it crystal clear being in fourth grade and squatting down on the ground in front of my cubby. And you know how when you squat down and your thigh broadens out mm-hmm. and I remember looking down at that area, like uh, lower thigh, upper knee area and being like, <gasps> look how big my leg is. Yeah. How old are you in fourth
0: grade? You're what, like nine? So self-aware. Yeah. I also distinctly remember when and I, I was a tall child, but I was also a pretty, as my grandfather told me, I was a pretty husky child And I also distinctly remember a boy calling me fat and it just Mm -hmm. like shattered my world.
1: Yeah, I had the same thing happen to me. Uh, I went on a retreat. I can't remember what grade this is in, but we went on like a class retreat and we had to do a trust fall. And when I got up, when it was my turn, the boy that I had a crush on in the back of the line was like, great, here comes fatty. Hope we can catch her. Oh my God. Things like that stick with people and like, yes. uh, you know, shame on their parents for not telling them to keep their traps shut. But I wonder though, I mean, it's so pervasive even if they don't
0: hear it from their parents, they're Mm -hmm. probably going to hear it from somebody else. Um. But let's talk for a second about these ethnic differences as well, because there is a study that we found looking at the intersection of ethnicity and the stigma of obesity and the engagement with a thin ideal, to put it in very clinical terms, and found that it was more predominant among white women compared to African-American women.
1: Hmm. So there
0: might be a bit of uh, cultural differences coming in there as well.
1: So looking at a, a bunch of different studies, and this is coming out of the Red Center, but they said that between 1995 and 2006, there was a 66% increase in weight bias, which was calculated based on the number of people who reported experiencing it.
0: And so what are the real-world effects of these weight biases? Not surprisingly, it's a lot of terrible stuff. Um, Just for for one snapshot, there was a 1992 study, which I realize is kind of dated, but there was a 1992 study looking at this, and they found that, and this this was among college students, they found that students considered obese people being the fifth lowest on uh, a ranking of desirability, preferring, quote, to marry an embezzler, cocaine user, ex-mental patient, shoplifter, sexually promiscuous person, communist, blind person, atheist or marijuana user before wanting to marry an obese person interesting you would rather marry a shoplifting coke addict i mean that's that's some pretty a deep... communist
1: shoplifting coke addict i know
0: it's it's a, it's, it's a little bit dated it's uh, of it era. yeah uh, even though that was the ni- early uh, 90s still so i mean that right there speaks to how kind of deep this is But the Rudd Center, as we mentioned, uh, which is out of Yale University, has really focused a lot on looking into the weight bias and its real world effects and has uh, conducted a lot of research on it. And they've identified all sorts of ways in which this weight stigma impacts people's day to day lives, starting with workplace discrimination, which is a massive problem and does affect overweight and obese men and women. But women are more likely Mm -hmm to experience it compared to men.
1: Right. Uh, the National Survey of Midlife Development in the U.S. did find that women are 16 times more likely to report weight-related employment discrimination than men. And uh, a separate survey that studied overweight and obese women found that 25% of those women reported experiencing job discrimination and 43% reported weight stigma from employers or supervisors.
0: And in the European Union, uh, there was a, a similar study that found that a 10% increase in one's BMI correlated to a 3.3% drop in wages for women compared to a 1.9% drop in wages for men. Um, And even when people leave work and, for instance, go to the doctor, weight bias still crops up there a lot, too, especially for women. Uh, There was one study, for instance, which found that women compared to men were more likely to agree with the statement Nobody looks into why I'm overweight. They just put me on diets.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this uh not to go off totally on a tangent, but that that quote really kind of jumped out at me because of the whole Hashimoto's thing. You know, when I was uh gaining a surprising amount of weight and not being able to lose it in, in a very surprisingly short amount of time, you know, I got weighed at the same doctor that I've been going to for 11 years. And I'm like, you're not. You're not going to ask me anything about the fact that I've all of a sudden put on all this weight. It was like up to me to then go to a different doctor and be like, hey, something is up with my body. Can you fix me? Can you help me and tell me what's going on? And not not that I am walking the same path as someone who is maybe 50 to 100 pounds overweight. But still, when something's going on with your body, you want to be able to rely on healthcare professionals to both be sympathetic and be proactive in helping you figure it out. But yeah, a lot of these people that were in the study were saying like, I just didn't get the medical attention that I needed for, for this, this thing that's affecting my life. They just sort of thought, oh, well, uh, you're fat and lazy. Yeah. You should probably just go to the gym.
0: Yeah. And as a result, some women and men alike, will avoid going to the doctor altogether just so they don't have to deal with that kind of weight stigma. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, having to deal with weight stigma on top of just the the awkwardness of sitting in a in a gown waiting, you know, in the tiny little exam room, Mm -hmm. it, it can't be that can't be easy to deal with.
1: Right. And if you look at schools, uh, the Red Center found that 32 percent of overweight and obese women reported experiencing weight stigma from a teacher or a professor. And 21 percent had experienced it more than once or multiple times. Similarly, there was a Swedish study that found lower educational attainment for overweight and obese women partially explained by not being popular in school.
0: Yeah. I mean, it leads to social isolation a lot of times because, again, these biases are not something that just magically emerge in adulthood. Um, But in terms of the real world impacts of it, the area that jumped out the most to me was how weight stigma impacts relationships because this has overwhelmingly such a disproportionate effect on women. Uh, This is a quote from that Rudd meta-analysis finding that weight stigma may have an especially negative impact on dating prospects for obese women um, citing a study for instance that found that both men and women negatively rated a dating profile of a woman described as fat overweight or obese compared to a dating profile that might have used euphemistic terms like full-figured or a dating profile describing a woman who had a history of drug abuse right would rather date a woman with a history of drug abuse than an obese woman
1: yeah and it made it makes me think of the whole um the sitcom problem that we we seem to have which is that we're we're also it's reinforced every night at dinner time for those recurring sitcoms that the funny fat man is okay and he's a desirable husband and you love him and he's a big bear um but he always has the the skinny like super made up dolled up big hair gorgeous high-heeled woman for a wife right and so that's just something that gets reinforced, and it's a terrible cycle. Um There was a study that showed that both men and women ranked an obese potential partner lower than those with mental illness or a history of STIs, although men ranked the obese women significantly less preferable than women ranked the obese men, which goes back to that whole sitcom divide, too, I feel like.
0: But also for this conversation, because we're really focusing on I think a lot on on women body shaming other women. Mm-hmm. It's notable that in all of these studies that include male and female participants, that women are just as shaming towards overweight and obese oh, women yeah. as the men are. Sure, it's not like oh we're we're just one like massive group of female solidarity rooting for each other. Nope we we are exercising these biases as well. And uh, when when there was one study looking at the source of fat shaming within families. The most prominent shamer of
1: all was the mom. Mm. See, it was it was opposite in my house. My mother was like, eat a whole turkey. You're beautiful. Here, have all of these sweets and chips. I want you to finish the ice cream, Uh, which who knows what was going on there. But, uh, my father was the one who would like make a clucking noise anytime I like went for the donut. Ooh, yeah, that kind of stuff makes me so, uh, trepidatious
0: about the prospect of ever being a parent because similarly those are the kinds of things that also stuck in my childhood brain mm-hmm. of, you know, some tisking disapproval during my husky days. If yeah. I were to reach for a snack or, I mean, I, I love, I love my mom, but she was also, very proud of her petite figure. And that was something that, I mean, it was just very much present in my formation of what an attractive woman should look like mm-hmm. or a girl should look mm-hmm. like, you know, because she would talk a lot about how, you know, when she was younger, when she was my age, she dated a lot. And then I would look at photos of her and she was much smaller than I was. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you start building those bridges in your, in your little, little child brains.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: That makes me sad. Well, let's talk about some good news and do some weight stigma myth busting and also talk about some uh, thin shaming on the other end of this body shame spectrum when we come right back from a quick break. Now, back to the
1: show. So I think
0: we pretty clearly established uh, that... Weight bias exists. We have experienced it in our own lives, mm-hmm. Caroline. Um, But let's do some myth busting. Let's spread some good news to balance out all the terrible news of how persistent fat shaming
1: and weight bias in general is in our society. Right. One of those myths is that people who are overweight have a complete lack of control. That that whole puritanical moral control issue There was a literature review published in the journal Sex Roles that found that fat women are deemed that they could be attractive, but that they lack the control to do so. And that means that they're perceived to be weak or out of control. And that is just not
0: the case. Yeah, I mean, there have been plenty of studies that would take us far too long to cite individually in this podcast about how overweight and obese people, plenty of them do exercise and watch what they eat. It's not so much an issue of that kind of self-control-y right. stuff that's impacting their weight. It's probably things going on genetically or with health conditions, right. yeah. issues that doctors might not be paying attention to because they're too busy fat shaming them.
1: Right, yeah. You have no idea what's going on with someone. For instance, I have a, a friend of mine who, uh, she's beautiful, and she works out, All the time, she does CrossFit, she does yoga, she does this and that. She watches what she eats, but she's overweight because she has hypothyroidism. She, I'm like, I don't even know how you have the time in the day to work out as much as you do. Like she, I don't even know how you do it and have a job at the same time. But she, she says that you know, when people look at me, they just think that I sit around eating pizza and drinking beer all day long. She's like, but I'm the furthest thing from lazy and unmotivated and out of control as you can be. Well, if you are genuinely invested in
0: someone losing weight. One of the worst things that you can do to motivate a person is fat shame them uh, because a March 2014 study published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology found that exposure to weight stigmatizing news articles caused self-perceived overweight women to actually consume more calories and feel less capable of controlling their eating than exposure to non-stigmatizing Articles. Mm -hmm. Sort of a self-sabotaging effect that takes place when if you're sitting there and and maybe you want to lose weight but you're just being told well you know you're just a fatty fat fat and you can't do anything for yourself because you're just lazy guess what it's going to
1: become a self-fulfilling type of prophecy with that right and they were saying that the better way to frame that is more lifestyle changes that you're doing some and this is something that a lot of uh, a lot of people talk about which is you know what whether you're overweight underweight normal weight whatever is framing your life in a more like healthy way you know talking about food in terms of what it gives you and how it fuels you instead of don't eat that Hershey bar because it's got too much fat in it or only eat those carrots because they have no fat, blah, blah, blah. Making it more about having a healthy lifestyle, less about the weight itself. Exactly. Um, And even if weight loss occurs, research has also found
0: that it does not necessarily erase the weight stigma. I mean, in the same way, that you and I, so many years after the fact, are sitting here recalling in crystal clear detail times from our childhood mm-hmm. when we felt horrible about our bodies, yeah. that stigma does not magically disappear. Um, this was confirmed by a recent study out of Clemson University, which found that uh, for women who had lost weight, they were still attached, in a way, to this previous person who had been stigmatized it was like almost an entirely different identity that they had to shed over time
1: right because there's that trauma that kind of sticks with you you yeah you can't just leave that behind automatically But we have to talk about the fat acceptance movement. And this is something that we, we touched on in our plus sized fashion episode. Um, but this is a movement that has roots in the 60s, right? Alongside, uh, civil rights and other social movements, feminism that were happening at the time. We see the emergence of fat acceptance. Um, in the 1960s, there was a Fat in demonstration in Central Park in which people ate ice cream while burning photos of thin models. Yeah, this kind of
0: advocacy that you're seeing more and more and more, especially via social media, is not a new thing at all. And the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance was formed in 1969. And then in 1997, you have the International Size Acceptance Association beginning as well. And this took off even more in... The era of blogging with what was termed, or is termed, I should say, it's not like it's disappeared, uh, the fatosphere, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden women in particular were, uh, Kate Harding is a, a name that comes up a lot in these conversations, um, talking about, hey, you know what? I am overweight and I am healthy and I'm not going to let the media tell me anymore that I am hideous and should just hide
1: behind you know, tent-like clothing. Right, right, exactly. And then that ties into the whole healthy at every size movement, which is basically what I was just saying about making your life about being healthy, not necessarily about being a particular weight. Um, and it's based around the whole idea of honoring your body, treating it well, eating foods that are good for you and that fuel you, not being so concerned about what size your pants are.
0: Yeah, and I mean... It's really great that the fat acceptance movement started and that we are continuing to broaden our acceptance of what female beauty is and Mm -hmm. can look like. But along with criticism of fat shaming, it kind of also came a bit of thin shaming in its wake. Uh, There was a 2011 study for incense that found that, quote, explicit weight stereotypes are curvilinear especially among women and in you know, everyday speak, that basically means that not only is there weight bias at the larger end of the spectrum, but also at the smaller end of it.
1: Right. Look at Angelina Jolie when she came out on stage at the Oscars. I think that was two years ago. And we, there was the dress with the big slit in it. Uh-huh. And the leg. The leg. Yeah. And it got its own Twitter account. But everybody was like the Internet seemed to be aghast. At her body shape and saying that she needed to go home and eat immediately. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like there's
0: as much Schadenfreude for looking at, uh, you know, celebrities overweight beach bodies or not, you know, perfectly photoshopped beach mm-hmm. bodies as there are for extremely thin beach bodies. We want to point right. at both of them and say, oh, that's, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have also been these. Internet memes, which on the one hand seem really empowering for women of like, yes, embrace curvy bodies. That's great. But the way that they're framed is very thin, shamey as well, because there, there's, for instance, this thing called the Marilyn meme. Mm-hmm. You've probably seen it if you have a Facebook account and it's a picture of Marilyn Monroe wearing her one piece swimsuit looking all kinds of gorge you know, and and having a not super duper thin body. And then next to it, you have an image of a super thin celebrity mm-hmm. basically pointing out like, oh, look, you know, this is this is what real beauty looks like.
1: Yeah. And then, I mean, that could be a whole other discussion about like, re- what is real beauty? What's a real woman? And and that that's sort of the conversation that's happening behind a lot of these memes, like the when did this become hotter than this meme, which is awful and but then it becomes better they it, it repairs itself it redeems itself when you look at the the memes that are making fun of the when did this become hotter than this meme which is like when did these japanese body pillows become hotter than you know and it's like a regular pillow or something yeah
0: well and, and along those same lines you have the whole real women have curves which is kind of tied into the maryland meme it's the whole It's it's the same kind of thing of saying you know what this is this is what a beautiful woman looks like, and she's this size, mm-hmm. to which women who might be naturally thinner say, hey, actually, why are you saying that I'm not a real woman? Yeah, And also, using the term real woman is also problematic when you start looking at cisgender versus transgender, because that's mm-hmm. also leaving out a whole group of people, too, who don't look like or weren't born looking like Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. So... It's all sorts of problematic.
1: Yeah. And
0: it doesn't help anybody at the at the end of the day. Yeah,
1: it's like things started to get Great. Like, let's accept ourselves, you know, starting with fat acceptance and all that stuff, like, the, the dial's moving up to the top of the thing, and you're like, yes, things are getting great, we're accepting ourselves, we're being healthy for health's sake, not for the scale, and then it, whoops, it kept going, and now we're being like, oh, all you other women are gross looking. And it's like, okay, well, come on, come on. Yeah. You've been fighting against the fat stigma for so long, and now you're turning around and telling another group of women that They look bad,
0: right? Because the thing is, it all exists. I keep saying that it's a spectrum because it really is. You can plot out body shaming along a spectrum that all revolves around our perceptions of acceptable amounts of women's control over their own bodies to where fat shaming revolves around women not having enough control over Mm -hmm. it or not exerting enough control. And then at the other end of it is thin shaming. That revolves around accusations of women exerting too much control. Oh, she cares, she goes to the gym too much. She watches too much what she eats. And it's like, well, where is that happy medium? Because then we are gonna get into the issue of, well, this is like this is the appropriate female uniform body. Right. And this makes me okay. This means that I fit in okay in the world and that, you know, all of I'm wearing my politics appropriately. And one reason too, that we've spent a bulk of of this podcast talking about weight bias in the terms of fat shaming is because really all of the research is focused on fat bias, because I don't think that the idea of thin shaming has even been a topic of conversation until the past few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was that 2011 study that simply acknowledged that it exists. Right. Other than that, I found no mention of it in research. I feel like it's only something that's been, you know, that women are starting to raise their hand every now and then saying, hey, I really don't like those real women have curves memes. And I
1: think a lot of a lot of people, a lot of women come back and say, well, you're thin. What do you have to worry about? Like, what are you so what are you so butthurt over? Oh, the idea of thin privilege. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thin privilege. I mean, I get that. The fact of the matter
0: is when it comes to our Western beauty ideals, Thin is more desirable, but I don't know. It's like once starting to talk about thin privilege just starts pitting women's bodies against right. each other. And that's not, it's just not good for, what. what is that teaching little girls? That's what I try to, that's my self check a lot of times is, mm-hmm. okay, I can have these conversations with adult women. That's fine. But what does all of this teach little girls? What are they seeing? They're seeing women fight with each other. They're hearing you know, what is best, what is real, what is right, rather than you are you. And that's great.
1: Yeah, it's almost like how you register to vote. You've got to check that box about what you are, Republican, Democrat, whatever. It's almost like, all right, little girl, now you have to pick. Are you going to be slim, slender, thin? Are you going to be large, curvy, and big-boned? And then you've got to pretty much fight for the rest of your life against the person who's the other body type. Yeah, and this isn't to say
0: that we don't need a massive media makeover of the images that we are being delivered. I mean, say what you will about the Dove Real Bodies campaign. Some of it is not all perfect, but it is good to see more women of different and various sizes Mm -hmm. on billboards in magazines on television we need to see more of that Mm -hmm. but we but it doesn't mean that we just have to throw all of these thinner bodies under the bus because i've also talked to women and heard from many women in response to doing this topic who were you know are naturally thin and have been bullied mercilessly because of it have been told go eat a sandwich more times than they can count and have been uh you know told to the whole thing of uh what is it oh real men like curves dogs eat bones which is disgusting
1: well you know i mean we we touched on this in our our fit fitspo episode you know talking about all those things that are on pinterest or tumblr or wherever they are and um I don't. Know, I feel like I feel like this is such a. It's of course it's a touchy subject, and I feel like in that episode in particular we touched a nerve because I think there were a lot of people who were like, "Well, if you're being offended by this stuff, obviously you're overweight and unhealthy, and you don't have a sense of humor." And or or
0: um, taking issue that you know what fitspo and, and and what could be perceived as thinspo really gets me motivated. This actually right. keeps me healthy you know, and, and gets me like going jogging whenever I need to.
1: Right. And I think like we said in, in the the FITSPO episode, and I'll say it again here, and I kind of already said it, but I'll say it again. Uh, Whatever m- motivates you to be the healthy person that you need to be and that you should be, I don't think needs to come at the expense of some other person's body shape or some other person's health or mental well-being.
0: Yeah, there was an article in Shameless magazine about this, and I felt like they put it so well, talking about the the problem with things like the Real Women Have Curves memes that we see. Uh, they say, quote, that's supposed to be an empowering message to women. You don't have to be a Victoria's Secret model to be beautiful, but it's completely undermined by too much older memes, divide and conquer and the male gaze, essentially saying, like, all this is really doing, if you really focus in on this conversation of curvy bodies are what men really want. What are we doing then? Mm-hmm. We're figuring out the best way to objectify ourselves. We're trying, basically we're conversing about what's the most palatable for dudes, which is not helping anybody except maybe guys. I don't know. But I don't, I, I don't think I've ever, I don't, I'm trying to recall a conversation over here a conversation among guy friends, body shaming each other. I can't think of one. Yeah. I really can't. Of like, he should he should go. Bob should really go eat a sandwich. I don't
1: think I've ever <laughs> heard that. Unless Bob was like really hungry and talking about how he really would like to go eat a sandwich. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like men's body conversations are more about body hair and or muscularity. Real men have biceps. Is that the, the way that it would?
0: Yeah. The way that it would happen? I mean, not to say also not to discount men's body image issues. Sure. There, you know, there, we could talk about that for an entire podcast as well. And guys, if you want to hear about it, if you want to hear two women talk about male body image, we'll do it. But I just, I just see it so often on, on the internet and on social media where girls are spend so much time. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that that Delia's image of really thin girls with really wide thigh gaps just it kind of transformed the way I looked at my body. Mm-hmm. These kinds of images of real women look like this, or this is, you know, this is disgusting. This isn't disgusting. Those kinds of meme images
1: that right. are supposed to be empowering can similarly alienate girls. But then bringing it all home, we can think about the, the brouhaha over at targets website. Oh, yeah. Where they had the biggest Photoshop fail. I uh, Oh, God. And, and for those of you who don't know what I'm referring to, basically uh, on Target's website, they were selling bathing suits, and they Photoshopped a thigh gap on one of the models, but they didn't stop at the thighs. I don't know if the mouse slipped out from someone's hand, and then it didn't go through an approval process, but they basically made a vagina gap as well, a vulval gap, not just a thigh gap. It just kept going and people were like, "Um, this is this is getting ridiculous now." Yeah, I mean, basically it was clear that they they'd gotten
0: caught that they were photoshopping thigh gaps. But the good news is, I mean, I do think that partially because of the internet, I do think that girls are more media savvy today in the sense of knowing what Photoshop is, mm-hmm. knowing that airbrushing exists.
1: But it's still, yes. And, and it's still, you're still being presented with certain images all the time, being bombarded with certain messages all the time. And if you fall outside of that very narrow space, then on either side, then you do, you, you know, it's possible that you'll feel like a complete outsider, that you'll feel like you're not as attractive and people will make you feel that way. Yeah. I mean, I just think that whenever these conversations come up,
0: it's so important to pay attention to whether we are attacking the root of the problem mm-hmm. or just someone who doesn't look like us, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, I think it's important too to take pause that, um, you know, if, if you are, if you're talking to another woman about body issues, like you don't necessarily know what that, person has looked like for the entirety of their lives and what has been told to them about what their body looks like, whether it might be a lot thinner than yours or might be a lot larger than yours. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know, you know, plus sized women who have like so much more body confidence than I ever will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can say the same thing about someone who is much thinner and fitter and has like just a body made out of made out of muscle. I don't know. I just... I, I It's just disheartening to see these conversations so often spiral into women attacking other women, rather than really taking a, a look at how to kind of make life better for future girls by yeah. focusing on the roots of the problem.
1: Exactly. How
0: do we do that, Caroline? How do we how do we if, uproot this stuff from
1: the source? I don't know, man. Just loudly support our sisters so that girls can hear. Yeah, I mean remembering in those studies that
0: women are as complicit in weight bias as men are. Mm -hmm. This isn't an attack against men. We are just as guilty. We got to stop it. Yep. So I'm sure that this has sparked a lot of thoughts in our listeners. And guys, I know this conversation has been largely focused on women, but we, we do not want to exclude you. We want to hear from you as well. So, All of your thoughts on this. Have you experienced weight bias, whether it's fat shaming, thin shaming? And do you have ideas as to how we stop this and perhaps save future girls from body hate? Let us know. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can email us. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've
1: got a couple messages to share with you right now. Okay, well, I have uh, a message here from a fellow Kristen, Kristen, um, about online dating. She says, I wanted to share my new online dating success-filled life. Currently, I'm engaged to someone I met on OkCupid. Both of my fiancé's brothers met their current partners on OkCupid. One is getting married before us, and the other just started dating an awesome woman. Two of my best friends are either married or getting married next month to people they met on OkCupid. Apparently, we're all too cheap to pay for dating sites, but we seem to be having really good luck. So thank you, Kristen. And uh, you are—you and pretty much everybody in your life is a great success story. Well, I've got an email here from
0: Sarah, and and she wrote us about our Women in Science episode and also our ADHD episode. And I just want to focus in on uh, her conversation about... ADD medication because uh, we talked about Adderall and we referred to it as a wonder drug a number of times and we're sort of talking about it's abuse among people who don't have a diagnosis for ADHD just want to clarify that um, because she brings up a good point about how she writes... Being on medication just brings me up to where most people normally operate. It doesn't give me any sort of superpowers. In college, it still felt like I had to work way harder than my classmates to study and to get things done on time, but at least I had the drive to do well. My mind still wanders, which can be helpful in looking at issues from a different angle than they have been considered before, but it can also wig out the spouse with how incredibly random I am. Like the other day, he showed me a picture on Facebook of a little boy with his head being slobbered on by a camel, and my reply was, huh, I wonder if giraffes are ruminants. <laughs> my brain, camels have no top teeth at the front of their upper palate, classified as ruminants, as are llamas, which are South American camelids, but aren't really ruminants like goats and sheep, etc., etc. And this goes on and on and on. She says, all this happened in about three seconds, And and for the record... Giraffes are the tallest ruminants on Earth. Insert shooting star, your lovely heart music, and the words, the more you know. <laughs> in the years since, the notion that ADD is overdiagnosed has led to some of the people close to me to try to convince me that I don't actually need the medication that I take, and I just want to punch these people in the throat. Because I was diagnosed on the later side, I've developed coping mechanisms to get by, but it was such a struggle, and it continues to be an uphill battle to wrestle my brain into getting organized. Just as I wouldn't deny corrective lenses to those who can't see properly, nor would I deny insulin to a diabetic, telling someone who really has ADD to go without medication is unhelpful. I could write more, but I just noticed something shiny and must investigate. <laughs> so thank you, Sarah, for not only your insights, but also your hilarity. And thanks to everybody who's written in to us. Momstuff at is where you can send us your emails. And we'll also have up all of the study citations from... All the research that we talked about in our body shaming episode and to find that as well as all of our social media links, videos and blog posts, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.